0: Good um, morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Tin Lok. It's my pleasure to read the Bible uh, today. But before I do so, uh, could you please join with me in prayer? Uh, Father God, we thank you so much uh, that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your word uh, for the salvation we have in your son. I pray now for hearts of attentiveness and obedience so that uh, we might be uh, not only listeners but doers of the word. Um, we pray that we will be people who look intently upon your perfect word, that gives freedom, and continue in it, uh, for the sake of your glory. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, two passages today. The first one comes from Acts chapter one. Oh, sorry, chapter nine, uh, verse one to sixteen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul asked, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Um, The second passage comes from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who caused you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ.
1: Thank you, Tinlock, for reading for us. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, if you're with us for the first time today, uh, we would love to see you again, and uh, we hope it'll be the first of many. And if you're a regular here. Um, it is really good. Uh, our weekly gatherings, our family gatherings, to hear God's word and to pray and to try and build each other up in love, are, um, are to be one of our first commitments. And so, whether it's your first time or, uh, or you've been here many times, it's it's good to be here. And today, especially as we begin this new series in the Book of Galatians, um, I've, we've called this series "Gospel Matters." You can see up on the screen. Um, that's because "Gospel Matters" is both the subject matter of Galatians and the message of Galatians. In other words. This letter is about gospel matters because gospel matters. Uh, No doubt over the next couple of weeks uh, with the federal election campaign in full swing, we're going to hear lots of messages from our leaders and from our would-be leaders about the things that matter to everyday Australians, to ordinary Australians, to working Australians. They'll use whatever phrase they, they can. But of course, those things come and go, don't they? And they change from place to place. But the things that the letter to the Galatians talks about they matter for all people in every time and place. Uh, It doesn't matter whether we are Jewish or Gentile, whether we are slave or free, whether we are male or female. Uh, The one true gospel is the only means by which God graciously saves us from sin and declares us righteous in His sight. And if there are just too many big kind of ideas in that sentence to get all in one go. Be patient, we'll come to all of them slowly as we work through the book this term. Um, But all I really want us to understand at this point is that Galatians is about gospel matters because truly gospel matters. And when we understand that, it not only helps us understand why again and again throughout history, It's actually this letter, as much if not more than any other letter in the Bible, that God has used again and again to help individuals and even whole generations in the case of the Protestant Reformation discover and rediscover how it is that sinners are saved. But then for us all personally, uh, once we understand this, it really sharpens our faith and it brings joy to our hearts and it brings urgency to our prayers and it brings conviction to our evangelism. And everything is put into a brand new perspective. So you can see on, uh, on your outline a couple of headings to get us through. We start with a typical yet tailor-made greeting. Because by the standards of ancient letter writing, both of those two things are true about the first five verses. On one hand, they really are very typical. In that we are introduced to the writer, who is the Apostle Paul, together with all the believers who are with him. We're introduced to the readers uh, who are the churches in Galatia, meaning basically the purple section of this map, uh, kind of the region of modern-day Turkey, where Paul went and preached on his first missionary journey. And then there's a greeting which Paul has kind of thoroughly Christianized with the words grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, kind of so far, so standard in some ways by the the kind of uh, ancient letter writing code. But one of the things we've got to remember when we're reading the letters of the Apostle Paul is that he didn't write to people just to kind of keep up with old friendships. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote as first and foremost a minister of the gospel, as a, as a maker of disciples of Jesus, as a pastor of churches. And therefore he never wastes any words and he's never writing academic think pieces. Always, he is working a pastoral angle. And so even in this very typical kind of three-part opening of his letter, there are a couple of things here that are totally tailor-made to help prepare the Galatians for everything else that's going to come in the letter. Now, one of those things is the way that he speaks about himself in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Uh, what Paul's doing here is he is recalling that very moment in Acts chapter 9 that we read before, till not read for us, where the risen Jesus appeared to Paul face to face as he was on his way to Damascus to arrest disciples of Jesus. And the risen Jesus commissioned him to proclaim his name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. That is, to both non-Jews and Jews. And the reason Paul is recalling this very particular moment is because it makes him a very particular kind of apostle. The word apostle simply means really, it's just kind of a sent one, a messenger, a delegate, a representative. But this moment makes Paul a very particular kind of apostle. Even right here in these opening words, he wants to establish and make clear that his apostleship has a divine, not human, origin. Not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Well, that's the first kind of tailor-made part of the start of this letter. The second is how the greeting of verse 3 that Paul Christianized, grace and peace to you, is then expanded in verses 4 and 5. So verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In a letter that is all about establishing gospel truth and refuting gospel error, this is really kind of the first salvo that Paul fires. This is really him laying the foundation for what follows Because you see, what is the gospel that really matters? Well, according to Galatians 1 verse 4, it is that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. There is the gospel. Now, when Paul talks about Christ giving himself for us, He's talking about Jesus' death on the cross, just as he is later going to remind the Galatians, before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Uh, Clearly, Paul considers Jesus' death to be as our substitute. The the Greek word that sits behind the English word for really means in the place of, on behalf of. Uh, It's also an atoning death which means it's a death that takes away God's wrath. It takes away the judgment, the curse that our sins deserve. Just as he's later on going to remind the Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Just as it is written, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And so the gospel that matters is that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, by dying on the cross to take away the anger of God, the curse of God that our sins deserve. And he did all of this with the goal of rescuing us from the present evil age. Now you will know as well as I do that uh, we live in a time and place where the prevailing worldview is almost entirely materialistic. Uh, What I mean by that is that this age, this world, these lives, this matter, this stuff that's all around us, everywhere, that's all there is. There is no age to come. There's nothing beyond these lives. We live and we die and our story ends. Of course, not many people actually believe this deep in their hearts. Uh, You only have to listen carefully at the next funeral you go to and listen to the way that nearly everyone talks in a way that just instinctively longs for a life beyond death. That's such a natural thing for us to believe. And so the Bible says, absolutely, that's the way of things. Materialism is deeply untrue to the nature of reality. This age is not all there is. There is an age to come. There is a resurrection age, which, by the way, has already begun when God raised Jesus from the dead. And the reason Christ gave himself for our sins when he died on the cross is so that we might be rescued from this present evil age, characterised as it is by sin and our rebellion against God. And we might be delivered into the age to come having had God's anger at our sin paid for by Christ in his death. And all of this, Paul says, is according to the glory of God. Now friends, do you begin to see just how much these opening verses have really been tailor-made for the Galatians? Uh, We may not know exactly why Paul thinks these are the things that need to be said, But already there are some stakes in the ground, uh, some kind of anchor points by which we can think about the rest of the letter. First about Paul, a very particular kind of apostle, not from man, but from God. And then about Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Okay, the next thing that happens is we learn of an astonishing problem, or at least Paul thought it was astonishing He says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I don't think we can really imagine the Galatians would have understood all this, but for us who have all of Paul's letters and we can compare the way he writes in one with the way he writes in another, we will know perhaps, just how uncommon it is for Paul to have a paragraph like this after his little introduction. Because normally there's that kind of lovely bit where he he tells his readers the things for which he's been giving God thanks in the lives of his readers. And then he tells them, well, here are the things I've been praying to God that he will continue to do in your lives. And it's just so warm and, and encouraging that that's not here in Galatians, just this declaration of utter astonishment, of Almost angry incredulity that the Galatians' faith is on the move. That they are deserting the one who called them in the grace of Christ and turning to another gospel which is not a gospel. At the end of verse 7, the gospel of Christ is being perverted, it's being distorted. And we are going to learn lots more about this in the next few weeks, but just to give you the headline on what was happening. The Galatian Christians themselves, they are Gentiles. That means they're not Jews. They're they're not physically descended from Abraham. But these people who have come distorting the gospel and throwing the Galatians into confusion, they are Jews. They are physically descended from Abraham. And the fundamental way that they are perverting the gospel is saying by, that the Gentile Christians, like the Galatians, if they are properly to be rescued from this present evil age, if they are properly to have God's anger at their sin taken away, then it's not enough simply to trust in Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now they must also be circumcised and follow other elements of Jewish law. In other words, they really can't be Gentile Christians at all. They need to become Jewish Christians. Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus other aspects of Jewish law. Now, it's important to recognise in all this that Paul's pastoral burden is not in the first place for these people who are distorting the gospel. Every now and then, he does say something directly about them. And you kind of learn what he he thinks of them and what he wishes would happen for them. But but no, Paul's pastoral burden in this lesson, a letter, is actually for the Galatians, who have been so completely hoodwinked and who have allowed themselves to be so completely hoodwinked by this different gospel, which is no gospel. And verse 8 tells us the attitude Paul wished they had. But even if we Or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I think lots of us find this incredibly confronting language. To wish that someone was under God's curse, that is absolutely the very strongest language and idea that Paul could ever think or say. But it alerts us to just how high he thinks the stakes are here. Gospel matters. It really does. And it cannot be changed in any way except at the cost of someone's eternal salvation. Which is why Paul says that for anyone who does change it, they are now deserving of God's eternal condemnation. Because remember, this age is not all there is. There is an age to come. There is a resurrection age. And there's only one means appointed by God by which we can enter into it. Which is to be rescued from the present evil age by the gospel that Paul headlined for us in verse 4, and which in verse 8 he says he first preached to the Galatians, and which in verse 9 he says they first accepted. That the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, dying on the cross as our substitute, so that God's anger at our sins might be paid for in full. And we stand before him having been declared innocent, even though by nature we are not. It is astonishing to Paul, and this is really the source of the great pastoral urgency in this letter, it is astonishing to him that these Galatians who have heard this gospel, and they have accepted this gospel, and they have come to taste and see how good the Lord is, And yet they are now turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel. Well, one last bit to look at before we tie it all together. Verse 10, a preliminary defence. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I now trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When people are in Uh, kind of dispute with each other, Uh, there are various ways you can argue a point, aren't there? Some of those ways are legitimate, some of those ways are illegitimate. Um, One of the illegitimate arguments that people sometimes use, the fancy Latin name for it is ad hominem. Basically what that means, it's an attack against the person. In rugby terms, you play the man, not the ball. Paul faced this kind of attack regularly. And I think it's the kind of thing that's sitting behind verse 10. The suggestion that Paul's gospel must be in error because Paul's motives were wrong. He's a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. Uh, How is Paul a people pleaser? Well, I think the argument is that by offering to the Gentiles a circumcision-free gospel, he is, in a sense, reducing the cost of entry. Saying to people that, look, all you've really got to do is trust in Jesus. There's nothing more than that. There's no other requirements. He's a people pleaser. I think that's the argument. But Paul turns that around and argues the complete opposite. Because, you see, by offering to the Gentiles a circumcision-free gospel, a circumcision-free salvation, Paul is actually throwing all of the focus back onto Christ, who was crucified, And that proves him to be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. Because truly, unless God is at work in a person to help them understand the gospel, the cross of Christ is an offense to the hearts and minds of people. And that's why Paul has suffered so terribly much for proclaiming it. The real people pleasers in all this are those who want to minimize the cross and emphasise circumcision or anything that we would do to contribute to our salvation. Well, uh, there's the beginning of Paul's letter. What are we going to do with it this morning? I think the main thing we need to walk away with is the realisation that the one true gospel really matters. The one true gospel preached by the right kind of apostle from God, not men. Preached about Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Preached to please the right audience, which is not people but God. The one true gospel really matters and it matters more than anything else. And true Christianity can endure all sorts of challenges. It can endure all sorts of failings and all sorts of mistakes. You think of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the hopelessly immature church, full of misunderstandings and pride and selfishness and division. And at times, Paul gets very frustrated with them. But nothing to quite match his tone here in Galatians that the Galatians could now be turning away from the gospel to a different gospel, which is not a gospel. Nothing quite like his vehement anger in verse 9 at anyone who would distort and pervert and change the message of the gospel and proclaim something other than the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins. True Christianity can endure all sorts of challenges, all sorts of mistakes, all sorts of failings, except this one thing alone, that the message of the gospel be so perverted, so changed, so altered, so distorted, so that people be told a way of salvation other than Christ crucified. There is the point at which gospel becomes non-gospel, at which the grace of God becomes the works of men at which Christianity becomes non-Christianity, and at which eternal salvation becomes eternal damnation. And in what I'm about to say, I gratefully lean on some work by the American preacher John Piper. I found this incredibly beneficial. I think all this ought to lead us to three responses this morning. First, this passage ought to produce in us a deep seriousness of joy at the realisation and the reminder of all that God has done for us in Christ. At the grace and peace, verse 3, that he has given us and lavished on us in Christ. Verse 4, that that Christ should give himself for our sins so as to rescue us from the present evil age. Verse 6, that God has called us in the grace of Christ. See, all the initiative and all of the work in our salvation has been taken by God, and it comes to us through Christ. And so this passage ought to produce in us a deep seriousness of joy and of thankfulness and of assurance and of peace and of confidence. Second, uh, this passage ought to produce in us a deep seriousness of astonishment at any who despite having heard and accepted the gospel of salvation would then turn away from it and desert the one who called them in the grace of Christ. I think here is possibly where I've been most challenged this week. Because like all of us, I expect I can think of many people who at some point in their lives had definitely heard and accepted the gospel of salvation, but who have since turned away from it. And I wonder if perhaps I've been too accepting of that, almost too resigned to it. Well, it's just what happens, isn't it? And I wonder if perhaps I haven't done as much as I could have. To express to them the same kind of bewildered astonishment that the Apostle Paul felt compelled to express to the Galatians at what they were doing. And yet if I haven't done that, is it possible that I have forgotten to just what extent gospel matters? Imagine how much good God might be pleased to work among us if as a result of hearing God's word this morning uh, each of us were prayerfully to consider any for whom we have a spiritual concern that they might be turning away from the one who called them in the grace of Christ. and if we were then to make contact with them this week so that we could find a way to remind them of just how much gospel matters, both for them and for everyone. And then finally, uh, this is a passage that ought to produce in us a deep seriousness of anger at any who would pervert the gospel of Christ Distort the message proclaimed by Paul and accepted by the Galatians. Turn it into something that isn't a gospel. By adding any requirement as necessary for our salvation beyond faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.